So for the past few weeks, we have been learning about how Jesus is our great high priest. We've been talking about it a lot, and specifically the ways that Jesus is far superior, far superior to the high priests of the ancient Israelites. The Levitical priesthood that was established, beginning with Aaron and continuing on, couldn't cut it. We started talking about this all the way back in chapter 5 of Hebrews, where we first were introduced to this idea that we needed a better high priest, one who could fulfill the office perfectly, one who was without sin, one who didn't need a sacrifice even for themselves, one who fulfilled the promises of God to provide a Messiah from the line of David, who was both the promised king and priest. We learned last week that uh, this priest came from the order of Melchizedek. We learned how the high priestly office of Jesus is far, far superior to any priest from this earth that ever existed or could exist. Jesus was and is perfect and eternal. He came from outside the lineage of Aaron, a human line that could not fulfill the role completely, and he was put put into that position through a promise, an actual oath that was sworn by God himself. Today, we're going to learn even a few more reasons, and I know we've been kind of belaboring that point, but it is very important. We're going to learn more about why Jesus is superior than the previous priests, but in all of that, it's so easy to kind of get lost in the details, and we can miss the big picture and the main point. And it's not that the details are not important, but in this passage today, we're going to be learning about the main point of what this author is getting at, the main point of this chapter, and arguably one of the biggest points of the whole book of Hebrews. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to be reading, finishing up chapter 7 today, chapter 7, verses 20 through 28. Uh, If this is your first day today here, we're really glad that you're joining us. If you need a Bible, we have some out uh, at the connection table on your way out. We'd love for you to grab one. Also, there's a book uh, that explains what is the gospel. We would also love for you just to grab that. Feel free just to take it. Uh, We trust you. So Hebrews chapter 7, verse 20. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we're so thankful just for this morning, uh, just for a beautiful, beautiful morning, Lord, um, where we can come together uh, here in person or tune in online and uh, hear from your word. We pray that you would uh, speak to us by your spirit, Lord, that hearts would be changed and transformed, that we would learn something that 
Uh, we never knew about you today, Lord. We pray that um, we would just continue to grow uh, in our knowledge of Christ, Lord, and be sanctified into his image more and more. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about uh, three big points. I'm going to just lay them out for you so you can see kind of the direction where we're going. Uh, first, we're going to be looking again at this big picture of how Christ's priesthood is superior. And then we're going to pull out the main point, which is that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him. And then we're going to end with a few practical points about what this means for us. So the big picture of what is being conveyed here by the author of Hebrews is that Christ has come and he established a superior priesthood over the Old Testament Levitical priesthood. Remember that this message of Hebrews was being directed mostly to Jewish Christians, so individuals who had a background in Judaism, who were Israelites. So to walk into a group of people and claim that what they had been waiting for for thousands of years, what they'd been waiting for was this high priest, this Messiah, he had come. Now, this would require some serious convincing. I'm sure you could imagine, right? Because there's a reason why the author of Hebrews is going on and on about why Jesus' priesthood is better. It's hard to think of an example for us uh, today that would make sense because we do not happen to be the most reverent uh, society that ever existed. We are very independent. We're suspicious sometimes of authority and of figures because oftentimes, if we're honest, we just wish that we were them. So reverence can be hard for us. We may sometimes put uh, specific leaders or uh, political leaders, successful businessmen on a pedestal, but more often we kind of tend to gravitate towards athletes and celebrities. So if you could imagine with me your favorite band or musician or your favorite sports team or your favorite athlete, right? And imagine somebody coming to you and saying, you know what, there's somebody who's better than that, who's not just a better player all around, but far superior than that person you like, or a better musician. That's going to take some convincing. You're going to ask for proof. So that's why the author of Hebrews starts to lay out all of this proof why, hey, you love your high priest, but guess what? Jesus is a better one, and here's why. So starting in chapter 5 and all the way till now, for it's probably been like five weeks, right? We've been talking about why Jesus is superior. There are some reasons that are reiterated again here in our passage, and I want uh, to hit on them because they emphasize this big picture yet again. So in verse 20, and 20, verse 20 to 22, it, sh it shows again how Jesus was made a priest by an oath. Aaron and the other priests were made a priest by command. Back in Exodus 28, God calls Moses and Aaron and says, hey, Aaron, you're going to be a priest. I command this of you. But Jesus was made one by an oath, a promise. It was sworn. We throw around, swear, not swear words, but swear, like, oh, I swear that I'll do this or that. We do that so flippantly, but when God promises something, when he promises something, it's going to happen. Just his word alone would have sufficed, but he swore that he would give a better high priest. We read here again, Psalm 104 being quoted, where it says he's sworn that Jesus will be a priest forever 
And he's made a guarantor of a better covenant, something we're gonna get into next week. This divine oath made it certain that the priesthood of Jesus was superior. It also shows, we also read in this chunk that Jesus' priesthood was permanent. Verse 23 says that there were other priests that came, but they were not permanent. They died. Jesus holds his priesthood forever. Other priests have term limits. Like you and I, we have term limits on our physical bodies. They're going to give out. The only person who defeated death was Christ. And if you skip down to verse 26 through 28, it says, we learn that Jesus' character made him superior as priest. His character was also perfect. It talks how Jesus is holy and innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like other priests, to offer a sacrifice for his sins and for the sins of the people. The law appointed men in their weakness to serve in the office of high priest, but the word of the oath appoints God's son, who was made perfect forever. That's a fantastic summary there. 26 through 28 is the summation of this big picture, that Christ has come and established a superior priesthood. So what's the main point, though? That's the big picture that we've been pounding into our heads over these weeks. But the point is found in verse 25. If you look, it says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. If you notice there, the word consequently, right? This is setting up all that has been said and is saying that the point of what Jesus has come to accomplish is this. This is the conclusion, the main point, and that is that he is able to save to the uttermost. Or it could say that Jesus is able to save completely, or at all times. So Jesus, we read, is able to save continuously. This implies something. First, we have to pause and realize, you know what? This implies something about our condition, our condition as human beings. It implies that we need saving. And the question is, from what? And the answer, as we sung about in a few songs this morning, is the wrath of God against sin. God is a holy God. The presence of sin is not something he can tolerate. Ungodliness, unrighteousness cannot exist in his presence. It's contrary to his character and something that has to be dealt with. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It's very tempting in our time, our day and age, our culture to forget this fact. As we read this letter to the Hebrews, it would be a shame to gloss over this implication on our lives that God requires something to deal with sin because he can't be in the presence of it. And we often forget that this is our problem deep down. I want to be clear that this has always been a temptation, 
right? From the time that this letter was written, before that, all the way till now. But we are bombarded with this idea today that our problems often are outside of us. They're circumstantial, right? Those are our biggest problems. They're things that are not us. If we just fix these outside problems, then everything's going to be fine. We need to fix our relationships with our friends, with our spouse, with our wayward kids. If we fix those, then our biggest problems are dealt with. Or maybe we think that our biggest problems come from financial pressures, or staying healthy, or needing certain skills, or navigating the problems in our culture at large. If we could just fix these issues, everything will be fine. We tell ourselves, if we could just live in a society like fill in the blank, then we're going to be all right. There's a lot of things you could fill in there. But the biggest, deepest, and most pressing need, the biggest underlying problem that we have now and that humans have always had is that we need to be reconciled to God. We need to have a way to be cleansed of our sin. We need to find a way to escape the just judgment for our sin. And God, being gracious and loving, has made it possible for this to happen. If you pause and think for a second, it would have kind of made sense if God just decided to do the whole creation thing over again, right? Adam and Eve, thanks a lot. You failed. We'll just do this over. But our God is a loving God who had a loving plan from the beginning. It wasn't a surprise when Adam and Eve sinned and when sin entered the world. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And in 1 Timothy 2, we read, this is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires that his people would know him. That's why it's so important for us to understand the condition we are apart, the condition that we're in apart from God. And the only way to be reconciled to him is through faith in Jesus Christ and what he accomplished in his perfect life, atoning death, and most importantly, his victorious resurrection. God established this priesthood so there could be a mediator between God and man. As soon as the problem came about, God said, you know what? This is what the priesthood will be for. That was the answer to God's wrath against sin, an atoning sacrifice. And that's what priests did for years and years and years. They offered sacrifices for themselves because they were sinful, and then also for the people. But then God sent Christ who is not just the superior priest, not just the person who fulfilled that role perfectly, but he himself was also the perfect sacrifice. This is amazing stuff for us to focus on here. 
But there's more, because while this was a once and for all sacrifice, what Christ did on the cross was done once and for all. Hebrews 9, 25 through 26, speeding ahead in Hebrews a little bit, says, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, talking about Christ, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So it was done once and for all on the cross. But what's more amazing than even that is that this salvation is all-encompassing, more holistic, continual. Our salvation is not a static thing. It's not something that happened in the past only. A decision that was made based on what Jesus did at one time in one place in history. Now, as we just read, that sacrifice was absolutely sufficient, but we read in verse 25 that Jesus always lives. It says he always lives to make intercession for them, for us. So we were saved, we are being saved, and will forever be saved by what Christ has done, is doing, and will do. It's crazy, in a good way. If you put your faith in Christ, your salvation is as secure and eternal as Christ's priesthood has been proven to be secure and eternal. If your faith is in Christ, your salvation is secure and eternal. It says that Jesus always lives to make intercession. He's our great high priest interceding for us. We are eternally saved by this constant intercession. And it sounds a little odd at first glance, right? You're like, well, what what are we talking about here? So Jesus is praying for us. And the answer is essentially yes, but it's not one of Christ standing and pleading for his people to God the Father in a way that we might imagine intercession, right? Where we ask for something right? Jesus sits enthroned as our priest king in the full presence of God the Father, and whatever he asks, the Father delights to give to him. And everything Jesus asks is within God's perfect will. So what he asks will be done. Jesus desires that his people will be carried through to the end, If you look in Revelation, you see this picture of Jesus standing enthroned in heaven as a constant reminder and proof of his perfect sacrifice. That's why when you put your faith in Christ and you sin, there is still no condemnation. When we stand before God, when God looks at us, he sees Christ. And Christ says, they're mine. My sacrifice was sufficient. They have received my righteousness. And I stand here as proof of that constantly on their behalf. It's important to see in the middle of verse 25, it says, he's able to save those to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him. So this saving comes through drawing near to God. The tense here for drawing near in the original language indicates this present continuous action. It's not just a one-time thing, it's happening. 
Much like the saving is continual through Christ's constant intercession on our behalf, the drawing near is continual as well. Our salvation isn't static, remember. It wasn't something that happened, and now we're just trying to survive. There's an aspect of drawing near to God constantly in our life as followers of Christ. That's why when we really think about it, just willfully going on sinning after we've been saved is just a foolish thing to do. Jesus' sacrifice set in motion this plan of redemption, and we are being renewed day by day until one day we will stand perfected in the presence of God, and sin and death and pain will be no more. One commentator, F.F. Bruce, says this about this mediation that Christ offers us. He says, he is no mediator in the ordinary sense, a go-between who places his good offices at the disposal of two parties in the hope of bringing them to agreement. He is the unique mediator between God and mankind because he combines Godhead and manhood perfectly in his own person. In him, God draws near to men and women, and in him, men and women may draw near to God with the assurance of constant and immediate access. So we're not left to draw near to the Lord on our own. Jesus's intercession for us helps us, makes us draw near to God through himself. If you read John 17, I wish I could just read the whole entire portion of the high priestly prayer, but take some time and do that this week. That gives a really good picture of what Christ's intercession for us looks like. His pleading with the Father for us to be drawn near. Another good picture is found in Luke twenty-two thirty-two. It says, but I have prayed for you. This is Jesus talking to Peter. For I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus is telling Peter, you're going to have a problem. You're going to struggle. Peter, if you remember, Peter denies Christ three times, right? But when you have turned again, he says. So Christ is saying, look, I've prayed for you. I have drawn you near to me. I've prayed for you. When you have turned again, he knows it will happen. This is how confident Christ's intercession for us is. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Romans 8.29 and 30 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And you could go on and on through Romans 8, not to mention just the rest of the scriptures. They just give numerous examples of how once you're in Christ, it's finished. Your salvation, secure. You're kept secure eternally. And your ability to draw near is purchased and the way is open. Christ intercedes for you on your behalf for this to continue forever. So practically speaking, we could go into many, many implications of this truth. But I want to focus on just a couple. And the most obvious one is that we are actually able to draw near, right? 
the God who demands holiness, who is holy, who is just to extinguish sin from his presence, says, through Christ, you can draw near. He drew near to us first, which is important to remember, so that we could draw near to God through him. This language in Hebrews is very personal, very relational. God invites us into this relationship. If you don't know God here today or if you're listening, he is inviting you to trust in him, to know what Christ did on your behalf. And if you do have a relationship with Jesus, then it's important to remember that this drawing near is continual. It's not done. No matter how old or young you are in your faith, this never stops till the day you leave this earth. And then even after that, we're going to be worshiping forever. In tough times and in good times, in pandemics, in years that look like 2020 in general, you can draw near to God. Christ is constantly interceding on your behalf. So how do you do this, right? There's a lot of ways, but the two most important is through prayer and reading God's word. It sounds so simple. Y'all are like, wow, elementary, Jesse. We know this. And I know you know it, but you know what? We forget it so much. We don't prioritize it. Think about any relationship that you have. How do you maintain a strong relationship? You prioritize it. And I guarantee you, you probably also talk to that person. Hopefully, if you actually have a good relationship, you're going to talk. That's what it's like, talking and listening. That's what Christ bids us to do with him and drawing near to him. The gospel of Jesus, the good news that God sent his son to atone for our sins, to be brought into a right relationship for him, for his glory and our good, is amazing. And we have to focus on this. I believe we should always land on the good news that Christ has graciously done this. Every aspect of our redemption and our restoration is accomplished by God for his glory alone, by his grace alone. But something that we forget, and to be honest with you, something that I don't reflect on enough is the fact that I still, by myself, on my own, am a sinner. And God is so holy, I can't even comprehend it. If you remember, we've shown before this picture, and I wish I had it, but this picture of the gospel grid. If you've gone through our membership class before, we've shown it to you where at the point of your conversion, your understanding of God's holiness gets bigger and bigger, and the depth of your sin you understand it more and more, and the cross looms larger and larger in your life as you remember both of those things. We have to remember that we are being sanctified every single day if you're in Christ. 
which requires that you get confronted with your sin. Now, I know this is not the most fun subject, and I'm not advocating that we sit around and beat ourselves up all day, because we remember that God's grace for us in Christ is what we must always land on at the end of the day. But Christ didn't come to pay for our sins just to leave us where we are at. The deceitfulness of sin is so real. So we have to talk about it. God does not come and say, hey, these are the standards I have for your living because he doesn't want us to have enjoyment. It's because he actually has a better way for us to live that consists of infinitely more joy in following him. God made us to worship him, to love him, to love others, to be outward focused. And sin made us turn inward and worship ourselves. It's the simplest way that I can sum up sin, us. Notice how this passage of Hebrews addresses people in the plural. He says he's able to save to the uttermost those. And he lives to make intercession for them. Jesus saves people, not just you or me only, but people. So if you're struggling today, maybe with your own sin, or the ways that you've been sinned against, or you're wrestling with the results of living in a fallen world, sickness, pandemics, then the good news that you need to hear is that Jesus is interceding on your behalf still. God bids you to draw near through, to him through Christ. And he does this for all of his people corporately. Some of us have sin to confess in our life, something that's keeping us from truly loving the Lord. Jesus wants you to know that this sin has been covered in his priestly work. He continues to intercede. So confess that and rest in God's grace. And then find a brother or a sister and confess that sin so you don't have to walk alone Some of us are being crushed under the weight of life right now. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of ways we've been hurt by others. Don't hold it in. Draw near to the Lord. Christ is working all of these things for his glory and your good. This is another thing that is also important to bring to the light, right? When when we're just wrestling with stuff. The church here on earth is called to build one another up. So we want to make the best use of the time we have, take the advantage of what the Lord has done, what what he has given us in this church body to bring these things into the light and remind one another that Christ has come to save you to the uttermost continually, every day. When the worst of times comes crashing down, Jesus intercedes. When the best of times comes around, Christ is interceding. Lean in on the church, and if you don't 
know Christ today, then I want you to know he offers you this same exact thing. He bids you to draw near, maybe for the first time in your life. He came as the perfect high priest, offered himself as the perfect sacrifice, was raised again so you could be reconciled to God. That's the big picture, and that's the main point of Hebrews. This is as good as the good news can get, that Jesus' salvation that is offered to you is complete. He has saved you to the uttermost. And there's nothing you can do but receive it and put your faith in what he has done, is doing, and will do forever. Let's pray. Lord God, as we continue just to learn more and more about what Christ accomplished for us on the cross and in his perfect life and in his death and his resurrection, Lord, I pray that we would never, never forget the fact that he is continually interceding on our behalf, that he is continually bidding us to draw near to you through him. And I pray that we would recognize too just the brothers and sisters you've given us in the church. Lord, I pray that you would make us be a people who don't get satisfied with where we're at, but a people who recognize our sin and rest in the grace that is given through Jesus Christ, Lord. And I pray that you would be working in us and that you would be continually saving more and more folks in this city, in this county, in this state, and beyond, and that we would continue to recognize that we are saved to the uttermost through Christ. And it is in his name we pray, amen.